The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. With Colour Trend Paint on News Talk. Good morning and welcome along to The Home Show. I'm Sinead Ryan. Coming up today, Paul McLean, architect to the stars, tells me about the most expensive mansion in America he's ever built and A-listers' demands for their bespoke Hollywood homes. Gardening guru Brian Burke will be giving us all the tips and tricks we need for gardening as we change seasons. Denise O'Connor will be in with tips on transforming a childhood bedroom into a student sanctuary as kids go back to college. And with the number of people over 65 still renting, we talk to Alone about the impact this will have on people in their later years. If you'd like to get involved in the show today, you can email us at thehomeshow at newstalk.com. You can get in touch with me on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100 or you can text us on 53106 for 30 cent. And remember, you can listen back to the show or any of the elements on it if you miss them on the Newstalk website or the Newstalk app, which is powered by Go Loud. Now, uh, we're well into the autumn term now, certainly if the traffic in the mornings is anything to go by. Uh, and what passed for summer seems such a long time ago. I had such hopes for my garden this year. All the wildflowers and weeds absolutely thrived in the warm rain and we had enough of it but I'm afraid my veg suffered so I'm looking forward to uh, talking to our my gardening guest later in the show to give me some tips to try and get it back on track and maybe a bucket is what he'll recommend uh, to get rid of all of the flooding let me know uh, what your favourite season is in the garden uh, or tips maybe from saving it from the rain and in the meantime sit back have a cup of coffee you are very welcome along to The Home Show Now, regular listeners to The Home Show might recall that back in March, we spoke to US correspondent Marion McKeown about the Los Angeles dream home known as The One, uh, which was billed as the most expensive house in America. Uh, Well, you might have picked up during that conversation that, in fact, this palatial mega mansion was designed by an Irishman. And that Irishman, I'm delighted to say, joins me now on the phone. Paul McLean, you're very welcome along to The Home Show. Lovely to talk to you today. Thanks for having me. Uh, Now, you haven't lost the accent. So tell me how you <laughs> found it before we get on to this house, which is going to take some time to describe, given the size of it. How did you find yourself uh, from uh, heading from Dublin to LA to do work like this? Well, I always loved residential architecture. That was the area I wanted to specialise in. And I think if you look back over the history of residential architecture the last 100 years or so, most of the most interesting homes were in Los Angeles. So for me, it was natural to head out there after college. And I had some friends who lived in Southern California, so that was fortuitous. And I got there and, you know, kind of liked it and stuck around and got a job (laughs) uh, (laughs) about five or six years later we set up mclean design and uh, gosh that was so long ago now i think that was 2000 so nearly 24 years ago when we started and uh, it's been busy since then we've been very busy indeed you have and talk to me now for for people who haven't heard of it and haven't seen it uh, about the one. Uh, first of all describe it to us give us the numbers because they're they're pretty vast 
Yeah, it's it's not a regular house, I guess, <laughs> if you want to put it that That's an understatement. Uh, <laughs> understatement of the century. Uh, it's about 100,000 square feet all in, including the garage. Wow, and um, it's set over three levels on four acres on the top of a hill. So the, the name is relatively appropriate. In fact, we're, we're very busy right now remodeling it and uh, for the new owner. And we, we're kind of taking it back to the studs, so to speak, and, and reworking it. So there's a, a, a long story about how we got there, but um, we we have about 100,000 square feet. It's it's basically about 40,000 square feet above ground, to think of it that way, where the main house is. And then there's what could be described as a basement, but really it has windows all the way around, so it's not really a basement. Um, but that level has all the entertainment spaces, things like the, the movie theater and the spa, the swimming pool, the gym, there's a bowling alley, there's an, a jellyfish room, which is basically a giant aquarium space you sit in. Um, there's a, a space for big events, you know, like charity events and so on, parties and so on. That's 8,000 square feet just by itself. So um, there, there aren't enough superlatives to describe the program of the house, but it's really more like a small resort than, or maybe even a large resort, I guess. <laughs> it, it sounds like a hotel. And mind you now, what struck me was you're not going to get caught short if you need to use the loo. <laughs> yes, there's a few bathrooms, all right. How, ma- um, how many bathrooms? I'm not sure. I, I don't mean to sound deceitful on that, but <laughs> you uh, you know, I think there, there's there's probably at least 15, I would say. Um, but I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I mean, we set it up really thinking about it's for entertaining this house and and the person that bought it, he is mad about entertaining and he's planning all sorts of big events there and parties and so on, um, which will be very exciting, I think, when we get there. But we're still at least a couple of years away now from that, I think. Yeah, and I believe it's old. I'm, I'm not sure what the final price was, but it was upwards of 125 million anyway. Are you able to tell us who the new owner is? Would we know who they are? Uh, I don't think so right now and <laughs> okay. uh, maybe next time. I'm sure when when it all said and done, everyone will know. But uh, he's, a, he's an L.A. businessman. All and, right. Uh, he's lived in L.A. all his life and he lived in another house that we designed. So he was very excited. He always was short of parking. So when, when he got this, I told him, don't worry, you'll not be short of parking anymore. <laughs> right. So. He probably has more than the one car, car then, possibly a runabout, he a would. Lamborghini or something. Right. OK. <laughs> uh, now, I read uh, somewhere you did an interview interview that uh, where you made a kind of a very prescient statement. You said the bigger the house that you designed, the less likely it is to be the client's primary home. It's often the case. I, I think it's quite strange that way. Um, we, we do sometimes do homes that are the second or the third home for people. And I think it comes down to what they see as their perceived use for the house. Uh, I think funnily enough, when people are designing homes they, they're also often concerned about it getting too large and but when they think about homes that are second homes they're thinking about you know spending time there with friends and family and needing more space and then space for multiple events and so on so it's interesting how that is it, kind of a nuance that one, one wouldn't necessarily 
imagine would work out that way yeah. that, that the main house might be smaller than the secondary house but also applies to kitchens by the way i've noticed that the larger the kitchen less likely someone is to cook in it <laughs> well, of course you've probably got chefs on hand and staff well to clean true up. and if you, if you talk to any decent chef you'll want the smallest space where you can manage to get everything oh, around right. him as tight as fast as possible versus you know other people when they're not thinking about kitchens as such thinking about entertaining you want enough space to have plenty of people there right Right, so there might be people then uh, who might have show-off kitchens where they can bring guests to look at it, but actually a cooking kitchen somewhere else in the house. I think Gordon Ramsay does that at home. Yeah, we've done quite a lot of that recently. And it's uh, in some ways it makes sense because, you know, often we have homes that are featured around one large space, like a great room concept where it's living, dining and kitchen together. And then if you do have in that you know space someone working for you or a lot of mess going on people really don't want to have that there so we'll often do even for smaller homes we'll we'll do the, the main kitchen as part of the living space and do like a small oversized pantry i guess with extra appliances and stuff where mm. you can you know put all the mess when you have your friends over do all the messy stuff now when you're designing homes like the one or or a, a kind of a commission for somebody for whom money really is a secondary issue. Uh, they just want what they want and they don't really care what it costs. What are the non-negotiables for well, Hollywood start, Well, I would say, I, I would stop you right there and say, nobody's ever said that to me. That oh, not right. Okay. No matter how much, how much money they have. I think what people really are concerned about is getting value for money and not necessarily to be cheap about it but you know just that they feel like there's worth in what they're doing and that money isn't being wasted I, I do find that's okay. very important so even and even if you're spending 50 even million at quid. the highest okay. level right. yeah no okay. even people who are billionaires are and that's probably why they stay billionaires well, maybe you're right maybe you're right so what kind of things now are you routinely putting into these massive homes I, I suppose you mentioned there a spa and I think Maybe there has been a move towards, you know, celebrities in particular having somewhere to get their nails done or their hair done in their own home. Well, yeah, we, we've been doing that for quite a while and it's actually grown really in, in a wellness concept. I think after COVID, uh, a lot of people started to think critically about their homes uh, in, in a sense, which I think is good that prior to COVID, things like people used to go to the gym or they would have an office. And if you ask someone if they wanted a home office, they'd be like, well, can we just put it upstairs? We'll use one of the bedrooms. But now they're thinking like, no, I may actually spend a lot of time at home and I may have people coming to see me. And how do I really want it to be? Or is it too noisy with the kids and mm. all that type of stuff? So people are thinking more critically about the spaces. And one big change we saw after COVID was the interest in having a home gym and wellness space that people were not so keen to go out to those spaces anymore if they could have it at home if they could mm. afford to and so not only is it gym space but space for yoga or uh, space for stretching in the gym then you know in, in wellness spaces we're doing saunas steam rooms uh, cold plunges cryo chambers everything that you can imagine and then people will have you know, friends come over and work out together or or do the spa day together and then also have the trainers come. But also people will do, as you said, like a beauty salon component as well. And for some people that can be just part of the whole 
uh, night out as such. You know, they bring the friends over early, the girls arrive, they have a champagne, uh, then they do their hair all together, do their nails, get dressed, and then they go out and it just becomes like a bigger experience, I guess. Okay. But uh, you do need a little bit of space for all that. It wouldn't be near you <laughs> in your average home. Indeed, you know? indeed. Now, how much inspiration do you take from your surroundings in California? I mean, you've got the light, you've got the ocean, you've got, you know, the, these vast Hollywood hills. I, is that important um, when you're designing? So, so important to me. In fact, the reason I got there in the first place, uh, I mean, the climate for us is just, we have such a great climate because it's very, you know, despite what you hear, it's very mild most of the year. Um, most of the time it's dry. So you can be outdoors pretty much all year round. And there's just a couple of months, like one month in the summer where it gets a bit too hot and, you know, the winter where it can be a bit cold in the mornings. But other than that, it's just a year round climate and just very dry desert like. So you, you don't have to deal with a lot of bugs or mosquitoes most of the time. So you really can open up the whole house. And that was my big inspiration going to California in the first place to connect to nature and, and the surroundings. And, and the light is is spectacular. It still strikes me mm. when I get back, you know, from being mm. in Europe and stuff. How just how bright it is, and the sunshine really does make you feel better. So our houses are mainly about that. But we've also found that as we've started to do projects around the world, that it does travel well, and that the idea of a house that's very transparent and connected to its environment seems to work in, in many places. Uh, mm. We just have to do slight adjustments. You know, obviously we can't open homes up as much in tropical climates or cold climates, but we can still have that connection to nature through transparency and so on. Now, it's a kind of far cry, I'd say, from the house you grew up in. Uh, how much <laughs> yes. inspiration would you have derived from your your childhood home? Well, funnily enough, I grew up in a council house in Kulak, right? And um, I, but the one thing I do remember from being a little boy was playing with my Legos in front of this big window. We had a big window in the living room and even, you know, the sun coming through and playing on the floor with the Legos. So it definitely was there. You know, it's just some inspiration coming all the way back from there. I've noticed, unfortunately, that, uh, you know, in those homes, a lot of people have closed up the big windows and made them smaller, which I think is a shame. It used to be like a floor to ceiling window, practically, mm. uh, in that living room. But uh yeah, so <laughs> things stay with you through your whole life. And, right? and I presume you were building houses with your Lego sets even back then. I was, <laughs> I was. <laughs> okay. In fact, I was, I've always wanted to be an architect, so I'm very lucky to be able to do that. Uh, very fortunate indeed. There you go. Right. Well, look, you you achieved your dream and you're uh, creating the dreams uh, for lots and lots of other people. What's up next for you, Paul? Gosh, we, we have some really cool projects around the world right now uh, in places like Bangkok and, uh, Bangkok and Hong Kong and uh, a Caribbean resort practically almost as big as the one we we're talking about. So some really fun projects to work on. Always something exciting. Just trying to figure out if you know, Sinead, how to get rid of jet lag. I'd really, really appreciate it. <laughs> well, my, my heart <laughs> bleeds for you. <laughs> Travelling to all these exotic places. Get the head down. I think you can probably punt out maybe I'll one manage, of your wealthy clients. Right? for a private jet maybe make that part oh, no, of your I contract not go that far <laughs> <laughs> alright well whatever it is uh, Paul McLean onwards and upwards and we wish you the very best of luck and uh, congratulations on uh, not just this but all of your of your developments out there and, and thank bringing you your so much I really appreciate Dublin your style today, uh, to, to <laughs> LA alright uh, thanks a million that was Paul McLean architect uh, of The One and indeed uh, lots of other ones that he is building all over the world. 
Now, uh, autumn is a busy time in the garden. As the temperatures cool, it can be hard to know what to do and what not to do to safeguard flowers and vegetables and plants and all of that uh, with what we don't know is ahead of us. So joining me now with some essential gardening tips is RTE Super Garden Judge and Woody's DIY Garden Expert, Brian Burke. Brian, you're very welcome to the studio. Thank you, Sinead. I have a new garden this summer, which I was hoping would be a blazoning glory. Um, Some of it is because some of the plants absolutely adore the wet and humid conditions we had. And then Mm. I'm afraid my poor tomatoes, I think they're the most expensive tomatoes in tomato (laughs) history. Uh, I'd say 90% of them are still green. Right. They didn't ripen. And and the ones I've been taken off, I've had to ripen them inside. Inside, yeah. I suppose the impact on your garden... It all depends. It's determined by the type of soil that you have, right? So, I mean, soil conditions in this country are extremely localised. So if you have, if you're lucky enough to live in a part of the country that has very fertile, sandy, well-draining soil, the impact of prolonged a prolonged wet period is not as acute as if you have more compact clay-based soil, you know? And it tends to be localised in, 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 in the fact that if you live in a new development, say a housing estate, that has, during the course of construction, there's a lot of movement of that soil. There's a lot of excavation. There's a lot of relocation of that soil. And then the developer will try and reinstate soil to create a lawn in the back garden. That soil, it never gets reinstated to the same um, quality as it was in the first place. It gets compact. There's machinery, okay. soil movement creates so compact it gets claggy. soil. It gets claggy. It gets and heavy. then it can kind of store the water on the surface Exa- and drown the grass that that ends up being sown there. It, exactly. If you if you think about the mineral portion of soil, we have we, the mineral component of soil consists of three particles. There's sand, there's silt and there's clay. Now the ideal com- you'll hear people talking about loam, love of lovely loamy soil. Loamy soil consists of roughly 40% sand, 40% silt and 20% clay. Those are kind of the ideal constituents of soil. So if if you have mineral particle in those proportions, you have beautiful free draining fertile soil. If you have too much clay, it's going to hold on to too much water. It's going to get claggy. The root zone of your plants is going to be permanently waterlogged. Plants aren't going to do well. Mm. But if you have that loamy soil, it can rain over prolonged periods and your soil should be able to deal with it. So your soil determines how you get on in a wet period. like we we know these conditions by all accounts. We're in a a period of climate change crisis. Mm. Uh, We have been told by the experts to expect humid, wet uh, weather. Like, Mm. you know, obviously not to the extent that some parts of the world are getting, you know, horrific, uh, life-threatening weather. But ours is going to be wet and warm as time goes on. Is there anything that people could do to change the structure of their soil to create those better conditions? Absolutely. I mean, again, depending on the, the your setting and how big your garden is, you can localise conditions. So, for example... Um, plants that are drought tolerant, say Mediterranean plants or plants that are native to, and Agapanthus is a great example, oh, South Af- native to South yeah. Africa. The beautiful. They're, these are the lovely purple or white headed exactly, flowers. Exactly, the that lovely umbrella just burst flowers. Burst out. Yeah. Absolutely. So a plant like that is a good example. So that is a dr- it's native to South Africa. It's drought tolerant. So that is a plant that wants really sandy, free draining soil. The last thing a plant like that wants is to be sitting 
in water or have its roots waterlogged. So if you're planting a plant like that, you can localise the conditions that suit that. You can bring in horticultural grit, you can bring in horticultural sand and you can amend the soil to suit the particular conditions that those plants require. There's very few plants out there like sitting in heavy clay, claggy, waterlogged soil. They're just not, it creates anaerobic conditions, it deprives the root zone of oxygen and plants are just going to die. The mushrooms like it. (laughs) (laughs) Right, okay. Um, So in terms now of the change of seasons and we are, you know, heading toward, I don't think, let's call it summer, autumn, winter. It's the same season. Mm. Uh, What kind of things could we be planting around now? Uh, So we've said kind of good, we are saying goodbye to maybe Mm. the summer bursts of colour and all of that. Uh, In terms of veg, let's start with that. What what kind of crops should be going down now? Well, I mean, veg, I mean, there's a lot of harvesting going on. Like Mm. you said, tomatoes, main crop, potatoes, things like that are being harvested. Now, you can still sneak in. I mean, here we are heading heading towards mid-September. You can can still sneak in with things like uh, radish, like turnip, like salad leaves, things like that. They're going to give you another crop before the weather turns really bad. Yeah, I have to say my lettuces have flown up. Yeah. So even despite the weather, all they need is an inkling of of sun and and exactly. and they're they're you know salad salad they're, forever. They're <laughs> so it's, uh, turnip is an often overlooked vegetable. So you you can you can plant turnip seeds now and you will harvest. Come, come kind of November into December, even for Christmas, you can harvest a little golf, golf ball sized really? turnip. Yeah, that quickly. Yeah, radishes are very quick. Now, radishes aren't hugely popular. I like them as a constituent of a salad. Mm. They have that slightly tart taste to them and I really yeah. like them. They're lovely pickled actually in a jar and they'll hold for ages. Absolutely and they're so easy to grow and they'll grow quickly. They'll grow in a matter of weeks. You can get those in the ground now and harvest them in in a few weeks time and like I said the salad leaves. Other than that you're talking about overwintering your veg. So things like broad beans like peas like garlic like spinach even Mm. onion sets and shallots. You can get those in the ground now and look forward to a very early crop next spring. Great. Okay. So that's uh, that's good on the veg side. And in terms of planting, uh, when do you start cutting back now things like the rose bushes and the hydrangea and the rhododendron? Do we have to wait a little longer for that? No, you can do. I mean, the, the rule of thumb, anything that flowers and uh, prune it, but anything that flowers on the previous season's growth. Now, this is a big thing with pruning, right? So flowers, flowering shrubs, pretty much, they fall into two categories when it comes to pruning. If they flower on the current season's growth, you prune them straight, uh, you prune them in the springtime and they'll put on the growth in that season for flowering later on that summer. If they flower on the previous season's growth, you should prune them immediately after flowering. You're thereby maximising the amount of time for new growth to emerge, thereby maximising the volume of flowers that you get the following year. I'm always worried about pruning them too early and then the frost gets them and... Yeah. Maybe you've damaged them in some way, but but yeah. that's the trick, is it? That's the trick. Okay. If, if they flower in the previous season's growth, pr- prune them immediately after flowering. Current season's growth, leave it till the spring. And evergreens, pretty much the rule of thumb is hang on until the worst of our frosts are over. Mm. So next spring, you're not going to do things like laurel. You is a, is is an exception. Use a really tough evergreen uh, conifer, and you can you can prune that now. But for the most part, with evergreens, hang on until next spring. The worst of the frost is over. You're not going to damage the new growth that emerges. Okay, leave them be. All right. Now, for those that don't have uh, a garden or a large outdoor area, what's best to do now uh, in the autumn if you've only got, say, a balcony? (sighs) 
Well, a balcony. I mean, there's there's an awful lot you can do on a balcony. And it's come into focus over the last number of years because people people are really latching onto this idea of gardening in balconies. So, if you think about smallish plants, so you can you can plant annual seeds. Things like you can start from seed. Things like poppy, like cosmos, like uh, amimagus, like. Um, Viola, things like that, you can start from seed right now. You can plant small perennials, herbaceous perennials. They don't have any permanent wood structure. They're going to uh, create flowers, create foliage, create flowers, and then die away in the spring or die away in the autumn and winter and re-emerge the following okay. spring. And they're sheltered, of course, if they're on a balcony Absolutely. and maybe with a with a window and light coming in if it's if it's nice south and west facing. Absolutely. And so you have to keep those watered though as well. Oh, you have you? to keep them yeah. watered. I mean, again, and you, you you also on a balcony you can do small woody shrubs and small woody trees. Brilliant tips there. Loads for you to do. Uh, so you'll be busy this weekend and in the weekends during the month, uh, Brian. Burke, uh, thank you so much for coming in and joining us with all of that. Thanks, Sinead. Now, the number of over 65s renting in their homes has increased by a massive 83% since 2016, according to the Central Statistics Office. But what kind of impact does renting in your later years have? And is there anything that can be done to ease the strain? Well, I'm delighted to be joined by CEO of Alone, Sean Moynihan. Sean, you're very welcome uh, to studio. Delighted to be here. Thank you very much. Now, this is a startling increase and it amounts to about 17,000 households, I believe. What are you seeing? Well, first of all, why is it happening? Look, um, very, very simply, housing need is important to be addressed at every age. And it's not about younger versus older. And the reality is, is we need to meet the housing needs of all our, all our citizens and all age groups. But the reality of it is, is in old age, the reason people have always bought is safety and security. You worked, you paid your mortgage. Hopefully, if you were in a partnership or you raised family, you paid your mortgage in an old age, even though the pension is, you know, just above the poverty or at the poverty line, the reality is, is you could cope because you own. The problem is, is now, as you say, huge increase of people retiring into private rented and into that insecurity and into high rents they can't compete in and they don't have the safety and security and they're not very attractive to the private rent sector because landlords are humans too. They don't necessarily want to rent to older people because they may plan to sell in five years and they don't want to go to an 80-year-old and say, I'm selling this up or I'm moving my daughter in or my son in or, or my circumstances have changed. You will have to leave. And this must be a, a legacy issue to some extent, because if there are that many people over 65 now renting, that means they never bought. Or, or maybe, I don't know, maybe they did buy and sell, you know, or there were whatever circumstances or they're returning from abroad or whatever. So it must have been an issue that's been going on a long time and we're just reaching the culmination now. Yeah, alone is like a, a bellwether, right? Say in the first six months, we worked with 26,000 people, right? Uh, you know, the third highest thing people came to us was with housing issues, right. right? And people don't always associate that with older people, whether whether that's housing adaptations and 60% of those people coming to us is around bathrooms, like real basics of trying to access mm. their homes for that. And then every day about people on notices to quit, every day about people in insecure accommodation or accommodation they can't afford. So because we're out on the front line, we've been feeling this for several years, but the structures are there that this is going to continue to grow 
because everybody knows the percentage of people renting in their 50s is nearly four times what it is in the 60s and going go down through the age groups. So the reality is, you know, we have to build safety and security into our housing systems. Yeah, because, systems. I mean, those people in their 50s now are hardly going to start getting a mortgage from here on in. So, so that's going to compound the problem. Now, I know that, and I've seen them myself, there, are, there is more housing being built for older people. Some councils are building properties that only older people can access, uh, either on a rental or a, a social housing basis. Uh, is there enough of that? Are we doing enough in that area? I think what you'll see is, is we're not matching, you know, our view around housing is you build a number of houses that matches the needs to the community. Right. And the, pro- the challenge now is, is we've over a million people who are over 60 now. The, we've moved hugely in, in the census, census again. And the reality is where you will hear about these age-friendly housing, you will hear about this stuff. It's not at the scale. Same as it's not at the scale for younger people, we're just not at the mm-hmm. scale. And unfortunately, organisations like us, the first thing we do is out doing work. The second thing we do is we see this, we work on the stats and then we go research to prove it. So we, we've even launched research with Threshold that shows the effect of this insecurity, the effect, effect of these things and the scale of what's coming if we don't provide safety and security either in private rented or have the social housing for people. Is there uh, enough services? That, I mean, you know, housing needs to be built on every sector, as you said at the beginning, mm. Sean. But is there, are there supports available to older people like HAP? Um, or are there other things we should be doing specifically for this age group who are on fixed incomes after all? They can't earn more money. They don't emigrate, you know, to the same extent maybe as young people do. And I think this is the, this is the conversation we need to have. This is a conversation we've been having, trying to have with, with multiple governments over the last decade is how do you pay the rent when you retire? So you're an individual, you're in a partnership, maybe you both, both retire. Obviously two drops in incomes. How do you pay the rent? Now what happens if your partner or your spouse dies? How do you pay the rent? The reality is is that housing assistance payments, you know, every radio show is all covered that they only could. There's very few houses available for HAP for any age group. And also the level of payment will not get people to stay and remain in their communities. So the way the system is, is structured, if we don't intervene, is that over the next decade, we will have this doubling again of older people in insecure, unable to pay the rent. But then will they lose their communities? Will they lose the areas they've contributed to, their doctors, if they're connected to a church, their communities, and all their support structures, which ironically will end up causing the state more in the long run. All right. Well, the budget is up now next month and uh, we will see if anything comes of your pleas and your, I'm sure you've made your pre-budget submissions as you do every year. Sean Moynihan, CEO of Alone, thank you so much for joining us on The Home Show today. Thanks for the opportunity. And it is that time of year again when young people are coming out of secondary school and looking towards new horizons and third level education. And I hope uh, all the students and parents listening who got what they wanted in the CAO uh, are happy to be embarking on that journey. But with countless late night cramming sessions, last minute assignments, maybe the odd missed lecture, they're going to need somewhere to put in all that hard graft. So who better to ask than Denise O'Connor from Optimised Design uh, to give us some tips on changing that childhood bedroom into a study zone. Denise, you're very welcome back to the Home Show. Thanks so much. Thanks, Sinead. It's a kind of a funny one. And I think 
maybe it's a little bit funnier for the parents than it is for the kids. You're losing the, you know, the teddy bears and the pink walls and the <laughs> things yeah. into, you know, maybe something that's a, a little bit more kind of edgy and, and yeah, serves and I, a different purpose. I think it's that sort of lack of control. You sort of have to let go and let your child have a, have a say. You know, this is their space. They're going to need to feel comfortable. Um, and they're adults now. And they're adults, I mean, they might yeah. be paying the mortgage, but they certainly no, have a point of view. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, getting them involved to a certain extent and being a bit more relaxed about how that space is going to be, I think is a really good first step. OK, well, let's start with what the mammies and daddies want, which is a study space, minimal distractions, yeah. you know, get the head down. So yeah, so yeah. let's get that bit out of the way before we get on to the, the stuff maybe that the student wants. Yeah, exactly. So I think starting with, say, you know, so for anyone going into college now, they've left all that leaving cert behind. So there's probably a lot of stuff in their bedroom. Maybe that's where they were studying for exams. It's a really good time to clear out. And that's always such a good starting point. And do that together. Do that with your child. Don't do it while the child is out. You know, go fill a load of bin bags. Like go through this process that's with the them. temptation. It is. Though, it, no, it? it really is. And look, so many people do it. I've been guilty of doing the same thing. It's it's not a good idea. Generally, you it's go really in, you not. You pick up the clothes, <laughs> you chuck out all the books, Everything. put them up on yeah. deal or whatever. Yeah. Okay, so so the student has to take responsibility for this, essentially. Yeah, yeah, okay, so you can exactly. supply the bin bags and leave it at that, yeah? Yeah, and, right. and go through it with them, though, as well. You know, so what, what's useful to keep? What, and, and they will have studied last year, you know, they'll have gone through this, so they'll, they'll know what their sort of preferred setup is going to be. Mm. Maybe the chair wasn't brilliant, so they need a new chair. Just really thinking about things and getting them a bit excited. So if there are a few new, new items to get, mm. get them involved in that too. Now, I suppose when it comes to distractions, we're talking here about the electronic kind, are we? Yeah, 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 yeah. And and it is so distracting, you know, and they've done loads of studies where kids who spend a lot more time on things like social media, they're just less able to get get started on tasks. It really is so distracting. It breaks focus for any of us, you know, even at work and stuff, it can be really, really distracting. So removing that temptation, I think, is probably one of the best things you can do. So whether that's having a place somewhere else in the house where tech is stored or you can charge it, just get it out of whatever the room is, whether it's their bedroom or whatever the room is that they're using to study. I think that's a big, a big help. OK, right. So, you know, I mean, the way they use their downtime mm. maybe will change and yeah. you know you know students will want maybe a new laptop maybe gaming all the gaming stuff in their room you know yeah, stuff which yeah. might have been cleared out for leaving cert yes you yeah, know yeah. and they want to go back so so that kind of navigation of that rule I mean they're, they're adults really there's they not are. a whole yeah. lot you can do about yeah. that okay no. now in terms of furniture um, as you say they would have of course, maybe been studying. Now, of course, a lot of, of students don't study in their bedroom. You know, they might mm-hmm. have used a common area downstairs and they might be repurposing their bedroom now as a study as area. A study space, so yeah. what kind of things do we need to take into account there? Yeah, so I look at, you know, the practicality. So often you're dealing with a child's bedroom. So furniture would be kiddie size. Maybe the desk is really tiny that they had in their space. Maybe they don't even have a desk. It was some table that they'd, they'd popped in there. Yeah, <laughs> dressing make table. a dressing yeah. table or a, a little table they use for, for playing when mm. they were really small. So looking at that, um, especially for some guys, like, they, you know, they're over six foot. So look at the position when they're sitting down. Like, is there enough space for them to even comfortably sit? Yeah. 
And then a chair is so, so important. And I think people underestimate that. So just really make sure you're you're not dragging a chair from the kitchen table or a spare chair that's in a bedroom somewhere. Get a chair that's going to be comfortable and they're going to be able to sit in for long periods of time if they need to. OK, now ventilation kind of keeping it aired and healthy and yeah. all of that. Yeah. Um, are you an advocate now of the of greenery in the bedrooms or not? It really depends. Like, it's so funny. I, I, you know, I go to so many houses, see so many people's homes and people forget to water plants. So really, there's nothing worse mm. than plants that aren't. Plant. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there are some plants that are really good for bedrooms, things like aloe vera, really, really good. I'm not so sure how, you know, young adults are going to be how good they're going to be at, at maintaining and keeping plants. But yeah, maybe pictures of plants yeah. and nature and that kind of thing can give you the illusion that because like, it should be a restful place it really. Should. It's also yes. a bedroom, you know. And things that inspire them. So mm. what are their interests? What are their hobbies? Like things that motivate them, inspire them. Um, anything like that is going to be really good. Things like mirrors are brilliant. So if it's a small room, put a mirror in opposite a window, bounces so much light around, just makes the room feel much more spacious. So simple things like that can make a big difference. Yeah, and of course you can put that on the back of the door if you don't have a lot of space. Or what about mirror tiles? Are they, can you still get those? Do yeah, they work? you can. Yeah. You can, and they're very effective. Even say if you've got a shelving unit to do the back of the shelves in mirror and that sort of bounces light around and makes the whole thing feel a little bit more spacious. So you can have fun with things like that. Okay, excellent. Now, anything else in terms of, okay, so you also wanted a nice space. It has to be attractive. They they have to want to go there. So in terms of making it more grown up, okay, so so somebody maybe who's, who's had this same room as a teenager, Yes. With teenage yeah. interests and, yeah. and yeah. thoughts and colour. Maybe it hasn't changed in a couple of years. This is now a space for an adult. Yeah. For yeah. the next few years at yeah. least. So yeah. what are you seeing in terms of trends? What do young adults want in their bedroom come study? I think it's kind of funny, you know, it less is more when it comes to, to young people. They, they don't want a lot of stuff. So their lives sort of revolve around tech. So it's a lot like a really good laptop. They tend to live online really even watching TV all yeah. that sort of thing is online so I just think it, often it's it's sparking um, on some sort of interest that they have so whether that's a sporting interest or music or whatever that may be and that becomes the focus of the space they're in so say somebody's really into music you know having a place to store their guitars or you know maybe it's favourite music artists that sort of thing that really does make it a really nice inviting space and a space they want to go and spend time in so those sorts of things work really well So in terms of then colour um, you're talking there about keeping it as simple as possible. Are you talking neutrals or can you just go a bit bonkers because well, you, you feel like it? Yeah, you can go a bit bonkers. Like it, it, Again, this is their space, so it has to reflect their personality. Obviously, going neutral is is really great because if it's, let's say, they're into a sporting team, which tend to yeah. have lots County of bright colours. colours all over the walls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that can be a bit overwhelming, okay. you know. Yeah. So I'm not suggesting you sort of paint the room in your <laughs> county colours. But, you know, um, so, yeah, if, if your interests and the things you want to put up are very vibrant, I'd keep the scheme neutral. But then if you've got a more paired back aesthetic, like you can go with a really dark colour or maybe... A nice idea if you if you like things like navies or darker shades is paint the, the wall with the window in it because that's the darkest wall in the room and then you can keep all the other walls nice and bright. Okay. And it's a lovely way to add a bit of colour into the space. Multifunction furniture, yeah. I think, can be really yeah. a good yeah. asset yeah. In, in a smaller room. 
Uh, and I'm thinking that a lot of students might have gone from a single bed now to a double bed. So mm-hmm. it minimises the space even more. So give me some ideas for storage solutions that we could look at uh, because they're going to have more kit, more stuff, bigger shoes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of all that. I know. Yeah, no, no uniforms no. now. Which no is uniforms. <laughs> no, that's one thing. Yeah, well, I think, you know, any beds with storage underneath, some of the mattresses lift up. Like they're, they're, they used to be quite cumbersome, those, those sorts of beds, but they're very very easy to, to use now. They're a great idea, even for practical things like storing bed linen, extra towels, that sort of thing. So looking for anything with integrated storage is such a good idea. Um, other things like furniture that can be repurposed, you know, so maybe they, they have friends staying over or whatever. You can get some really, really nice sort of chairs that can turn into pull-out beds, that kind of thing. And they're just really useful pieces to have in a house anyway. Mm. So, yeah, anything that can be multifunctional is is a good investment. All right. OK. And um, if there are study areas outside the house, if you just want to keep it as a bedroom and maybe study elsewhere, mm. uh, I suppose creating a separate space where possible, because yeah. you've been, had great ideas over the years about under the stairs and yeah, in yeah. the loft and yeah. corner of a kitchen kind of thing, boundary, those Separating that space, though, is important. It's really important. And I think it comes down to the kid. Like, everybody's going to be totally different. So some some people can work really well where there are people passing through, say, like the hallway, for example, if you're really tight on space. Other kids, that's never going to work. So really look at the individual child and see, look, what what is better for them? So if you're going for a space that's, say, in a living room or something that might be used during the day, if you can design joinery where everything can be closed off in the evening time, just so that suddenly the student's life doesn't start to take over the entire house, because that can just be stressful for everybody. Well, of course, they were the lessons we learned during COVID lockdowns because, you know, people were working from home and that stress about maybe preparing the evening meal or trying to read a book and suddenly you can see the light on your PC pinging and somebody's looking. It's the same principle, really. Exactly. Or not being able to find that document you were working on or that piece of paper because someone's moved it. So it's so stressful for people. So just having a spot that you can close over, you know everything's safe, you know exactly where it is. I mean, you don't even need to get in the carpenter. You can buy one of those, you know, those lattice or or Chinese screens or something like that. Yeah, just to shield it from, yeah. Right. And finally, any other tips uh, for the mammies and daddies out there navigating this space? I think, look, it's one day at a time, isn't it? <laughs> and and for anyone who's, who's embarking on this for the first time, everybody's finding their way. So I think a little, you sort of try and let go of control. I know it's, I know it's really, really hard, but maybe just a little bit more of a relaxed attitude towards it. Yeah. And yeah, one day at a time. And well, you're being very kind there. My top tip is don't ever, ever go into a student's bedroom and once unless you run out of Delph <laughs> and that's the most likely place you're going to find it <laughs> under the bed well that's why those beds are the under the bed yeah. storage are, yeah, and yeah, they're probably. able to do all of their yeah, own laundry shocker right <laughs> okay no pot and noodles in sight yeah. uh, Denise O'Connor thanks a million and people can find you of course on on um, our Instagram is Optimise Design or Optimise Home. Wonderful. Yeah. All right. Thanks a million for coming Thanks, back with your, with your calm attitude towards <laughs> what's a very, very busy time. And that Thanks. is all we have time for this week on the show. If you've missed any of the elements on the show, by the way, don't forget we have a podcast. Uh, all the shows are there recorded over the years. Uh, you can pick and choose. And uh, I know some people like to do that if they're out for a walk. They like listening to our designer who always comes in at the back end of the show. And uh, it's a lovely item uh, every time because these are such experts 
Irish that we get on. Uh, so that's up on the News Talk website on the News Talk app powered by Go Loud. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, it's a text at 53106. But actually, during the week, if you just email us at the home show at newstalk.com, we will pick it up there. And don't uh, forget, uh, if you'd like to get in touch, I'm on Instagram at Sinead Ryan 100. Thanks to Simon Keane producing this week, Hugh Keenan on research, and Stephen McLoon was on sound. Up next, it's the Anton Savage Show. Have a fantastic weekend. We're here every Saturday at 8 o'clock. The Home Show with Sinead Ryan. With Colour Trend Paint on News Talk.